From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. Hi, and welcome to Real Pink. Today, we are going to talk about the emotional journey of the caregiver. So as with any illness, breast cancer can have far-reaching effects beyond the person who is diagnosed. Partners may feel many of the same emotions as the person diagnosed, shock, sadness, fear, anger, and denial. Family and friends can be strong sources of support throughout the diagnosis, treatment, and recovery. At the same time, loved ones, especially spouses, partners, and children may also need social support. We had the pleasure of speaking with his wife, Anna, last week on the show, and today we are happy to welcome Jordan Rathkoff to share his family's experience from his perspective. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much. So good to talk to you. Really enjoyed chatting with Anna last week, and I'm really excited to hear your perspective this week. So let's just start there. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how breast cancer has been a part of your life. Sure. Uh, So I'm from Brooklyn, born and raised, still living there. I met Ani about 15, 16 years ago in Czech Republic, where she's from. And I was working back then as an English teacher. And uh, we met and the rest was history. And, you know, my, my experience with breast cancer actually started when I was young. My mother was diagnosed when I was around 11 years old, 11, 12. And, you know, that was kind of my first experience with breast cancer. And then Ani was diagnosed almost four years ago. And, you know, it was, uh, I think, kind of my mother's diagnosis. I don't think I ever fully realized how much it had it weighed on me until I was getting older. And then when Ani got sick, it kind of, it all came together. And I just kind of felt like my worlds were unfortunately starting to come together in ways I hadn't anticipated. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and so I know, you know, you were her primary caregiver, your wife, not your mother, right? You were a primary caregiver. Talk about the kind of support that you found yourself needing as you were going through that process and how were you able to find it? Yeah, I mean, I was early on. I was a, really worried about myself because <laughs> I have really uh, I've had problems in my life dealing with anxiety and depression. You know, I've had spells where you know sometimes I will have to deal with anxiety. And when she got diagnosed, I was actually it was a good period for me. And then as soon as I heard that she was diagnosed, I, I knew I was going to have a real problem. Hmm. You know, uncertainty is something I've always struggled with, and when we found out it was just a, it's just a nightmare, really. I just, I knew instantly I was going to be struggling. Mm. And I, you know, those first few weeks, I didn't really know what to do for help. Right when she was diagnosed, I was looking online. I was Googling things and trying to find forums and photo essays, people on YouTube, anything I could just for some information, some kind of comfort. And I actually went to our social worker at, at my wife's um, hospital here in New York. And I told her, you know, uh, I'd like to talk to you. I re- we'd really like to see, is there someone we could speak to for our mental health? And, and she was kind of directing it towards Ani. I was like, no, it's actually for me. Mm. I need it. And, and yeah. she said, you know, it's, I'm so happy you're being honest and direct with me. And, and I'm sorry, though, but there's not that much I can point you to in terms of men. Wow. She said that often she finds it's, it is hard that men to discuss openly kind of the fear they're experiencing, the anxiety, you know, we had a young son at the time, he was three. And I, I just remember 
all of a sudden I'm thinking, am I going to be a single father now? Like, mm. am I, is that what I'm going to deal with now? It's like, I'm a single dad and that would create a lot of anxiety for me. And I just needed help. And so I started, I found a therapist and started going to therapy and specifically it was called cognitive behavior uh, therapy. And, and the idea was that rather than delving too much into your past or your family life or anything like that, you kind of focus on your feelings now, the things you said to yourself right before you started to feel that way. Mm. And to try to create a little bit of distance between the things we may say to ourselves and the feelings we may be experiencing. Mm. Uh, and that was really helpful for me because what I didn't realize was that I was actually making myself much more nervous and much more freaked out because of the things I was saying to myself, like, you're going to be a single dad. Mm. Those ideas, there was no proof of it, right? You know, there's, right. but I was convincing myself of it emotionally because I was telling myself these things. Mm. And so it took a lot of work for about two years with this therapist, really. I had to work on a regular basis to just try to find a way to process feelings separately from thoughts. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad you're able to find that support and, and really thankful you're able to share that uh, here with us. And thank you for doing that. Uh, so let, let's talk for a minute about the care that you gave to your wife. What did it mean for you to be able to care for her during those vulnerable moments? You know, it's funny. I don't know that I felt like a caregiver. <laughs> I don't know what I felt like, but you know, cause she was taking, I, I she was just so, I was so impressed by her throughout everything, just her, how she handled everything. And so I never felt like I was really giving her care, even if maybe we were, but it was really hard to watch her in the state she was in because it just got worse and worse. Yeah. Not knowing how to help her sometimes made it worse for me, mm -hmm. wanting to protect her and wanting to take care of her and realizing how much it was kind of felt out of my control. Right. Was hard. You know, what I tried to do was I tried to never burden her with my stuff. I had a lot of things going on in my head, a lot of issues with work. This had an impact on a lot of aspects of our life. But what I, what I had to try to do my best was find a way to make her feel safe mm. and to not really show her. So I'd go in my car and cry. Like if mm. I felt like I had to cry, I would never do it in front of her. I would never do it in front of our son. I was really worried. I was really worried about our son too. I didn't want him to experience this. So yeah. I was, in some ways I was more worried about being his caregiver than hers because I felt like she was so on top of it and she was doing, she was just taking care of herself so much, but I felt like someone really had to take care of our son because she had to be separated because of yeah. um, treatment. You know, he was in school, he was sick every week. Mm. So, you know, they were for three months, we had to really keep them pretty much away from each other a lot. Mm. I had to be his rock. Yeah, I think that's how I was trying to help her the most was making sure he was okay. Because I knew that for her, that was what she was the most worried about was was him. Yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about about that. I mean, you were you were balancing work, you're balancing caring for your wife, and and now you're as you just said that you're the rock for your young son. Can you share just a little bit about how how did you handle that, or any tips you'd have for other parents that are trying to handle that similarly? I mean, the, my tips would be just no matter what's going on try to find a way that they feel safe. You know, they don't understand what's happening. Even if you told them, I'm not sure they would understand. Yeah. It was interesting. We actually, uh, he loved this book, Babar. Do you know the book? It's oh yeah. Yeah, Nathaniel. I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had this book and we read it. And in the story, there's the scene where like the king gets poisoned by a mushroom 
And we read it one time, and, you know, he, he didn't seem to care. And then a week later, this was all during her treatment. Apparently, she was reading the book, and he was really upset. And she told me about it. And I was like, oh, no, he loves this book. And I got to the page, and he had a freak out, like a, mm. a meltdown. He just, like, n never before had he acted like that and never since. And he, he just had a meltdown. And he was like, well, the, but the, the elephant's sick like mommy. Mm. I realized in that moment how much he actually probably was observing things and how much it might have been affecting him on a subconscious level. And so for us, that became a really important thing that we try to protect him. And so my advice is just always keep that in your mind as hard as it may be, because it's, it's hard, even if you don't realize it, it's hard sometimes to notice what they might be experiencing. And you have to be yeah. really sensitive to that, I think, for their well-being. Yeah. Now, it's, it's good advice. And I think kids perceive far more than we usually give them credit for uh, myself certainly included in that so so let's go back just for a moment uh, back to the diagnosis that's obviously a, a very difficult thing to process were you able to process that process that immediately did it take some time to come to terms with that i know that you sought some counseling and is it as it's related to that just tell us a little bit more about that yeah the diagnosis was was bad <laughs> I don't know. The first day when we found out, she actually couldn't reach me. So she had been trying to tell me for like an hour or something. I was at work. And by the time I got her on the phone, she was like really hysterical because she had had an hour basically of not being able to even reach me and having to kind of deal with it herself. And so mm. she was really, by the time I heard her and, and it was bad, I just mm. I heard her voice. You know, our, our doctors had originally thought that she didn't have cancer they had she had gone through a screening and they someone said something like oh well we won't know till we get the results back in the next day or two but i think you can sleep easy you know stuff along those lines mm. and so we kind of felt like we had dodged a bullet they were and then it actually came back you know as cancer and i think partly it was worse because of that too because we really kind of had thought we had dodged it yeah and so we were dealing with that and then once I started researching is when it got really bad. Like that was mm. a mistake. Like yeah. to start to start reading on my own without, you know, I just got obsessive about it and just started reading more and more and trying to educate ourselves as quickly as possible. Something that was very hard for us was that we were hoping to have a second child right before mm. she was diagnosed. And so when she was diagnosed, it became clear very quickly that that conversation was going to have to happen now. Mm. are we going to try to preserve eggs or not? It was intense. I mean, that you know, just having to make all these decisions without knowing anything. Like you, you're a normal person, and now the next day you're supposed to be a doctor who understands, you know, all the implications of a disease and its treatment. And that was really hard. I mean, that was just a very difficult period because you're reading and you're trying to find all this information out, but you have no experience with this. You don't know what any of this stuff means. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really tough. So last question, what advice can you give our listeners about things you learned through your journey that helped you cope, things that you think might be helpful for others to hear? I think what would be helpful is to try to remember that you're not alone. We are interconnected, that what happens to one of us affects all of us in some capacity, and that we have to, as much as possible, just make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, mm -hmm. especially from the caretaker or co-survivor perspective. It's, you know, 
I couldn't be much good to her or my family or my son if I was going to be having anxiety attacks. Mm. I kind of felt like looking at her inspired me. I was like, if she can do what she's doing, mm-hmm. I can do what I'm doing. Right. Another tip, just try to enjoy each other as much as you can. Don't take it for granted. <laughs> Appreciate what you have. Mm. You know, I, I do feel like a little bit, I, I was angry at myself for a period of time because I felt like I had taken so much for granted. Mm. I felt like I really didn't appreciate things the way I should have. And so in a weird way, this experience helped me recalibrate a lot in terms Mm. of priorities and what, what moving forward I need to be doing to make sure I'm maximizing life because you never know what will happen. Man, that's really good advice for all of us, honestly, to, to not, to not take things for granted and to truly take the time to appreciate the things that we have, because to your point, we're, we're not guaranteed anything. Um, so uh, that's really, really great advice. Uh, Jordan, this has been great. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your life. Uh, thank you. Thank, thank your wife for sharing her story with us from last week as well. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing back from you again sometime soon. Thank you so much, Adam. This was really my pleasure. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.